Hey folks, Elias here. Just wanted to chime in at the top of the episode, let you know, I just finished editing the episode and I noticed that my voice was trailing off through many moments and it was a bit rough at times. I was just recovering from a flu and I thought I was okay to record, but apparently I was not. So just so you know, we're aware of it and I apologize if you have some difficulty with the ends of my sentences and hopefully I'll be back to full strength by the next episode. Let's jump in. No, no. Alright. I'm gonna trade you two sheep for that wood. Tell me, honey, does that sound good? Cause all I really wanna do is take away longest road from you, yeah. Welcome to these tabletop sessions. Welcome to the welcome to the welcome to these tabletop sessions. Hello, fellow gregarious geeks and gamers, and welcome to the 39th episode of the Tabletop Sessions podcast. This is your monthly dose of tabletop gaming stories and shenanigans. My name is Elias, and with me, back again, the Honorable. His Excellency, Commander-in-Chief Hippocrates Gnostopoulos, first of his name. Hello. Hi, Hippo. Hello from the desert. How have you been? How was, how was London and Greece? London was great. And uh, I guess the best thing about this podcast in London is that London contributed one game to our future episodes. Oh, what'd you buy? I bought uh, Dominant Species Marines. Oh, that's nice. We played that on Tabletop Simulator. That was really fun. Uh, it's funny because I was looking for anything interesting. I found a capstone game uh, that I didn't know. Uh, and I said... What was it called? Oh, I don't remember, but wait, let me finish the story. Maybe we'll find out. We'll figure out what it is. So I said, okay, fuck it. I have big trust in capstone games. I'm going to buy that. So I okay. bite, I go home, I check the back of the box, and it's a two-player game. <laughs> so the next day, no, after two days, I go back and I say, yeah, you know, this was a two-player game. I need something else. So I change it, but I don't remember what was it. I mean, how many two-player capstone games were there? That's a great question. I mean, do you remember the theme at least? You might help me narrow it down a little. No, but I remember I was with Thalia. Thalia is now uh, 11 years old. And uh, the, girl <laughs> in the, count, the girl in the counter, she, she's watching me buying this game. And Thalia is next to me. And she says to me, you know, this is not for, uh, this is like a complicated game. It's not, I mean, it's going <laughs> to... I said, no, Did no, that's her, for me. I have a board <laughs> game podcast. <laughs> was no, it Watergate? I, I, she, she thought it was for Thalia. Was it Watergate? No, no. It's okay. two-player only. You don't even know the theme? Yeah, Watergate yeah. is two-player only. No. That's why, no. What do you mean, no? Yes, <laughs> I'm looking no, I mean, at no, it. No, I mean, it, it, it's not Watergate. But anyway, I'll find out and I'll... I'll uh, can't start a story. Is it beer and bread? No. <laughs> Was it Rift Force? <laughs> okay, I will tell you that. Uh, it's a quiz. Let our listeners find out what's, 
<laughs> what's the, the game. And by the next episode, I will uh, get Was back it to Curious you. Cargo? <laughs> yes. Really? I think so. Maybe wow. Not. I'm a genius. Is it a two-player game? Yes, two-player only. Okay, if I check the... Anyway, so that was the short Man, story. I'm so clever. This is amazing. Uh, so I, but you know what was uh, interesting? That there's no board game shops in. I mean, you would think that London is a, a big metropolis and it would have a lot of board game shops. There are not so many anymore. Everybody's just buying online. So there's just one in the central of London, and everything else was outside of Zone One. No, I believe it was two. Inside, there's, there's one. Uh, I know Orcs Nest is, is pretty downtown. That, that's that's the one I went. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. there's I mean, there is one more. I have been to the other two, uh, but it's more of a miniatures game, you know, Warhammer and stuff. Yeah, and th there is a third one which is like uh, one and a half hour from the center of London, so we didn't go there. Yeah, we, we don't really have that problem here. I feel like we have, you know, we have a couple of branches of 401 games we have board game bliss we have like even just like two streets down from me i was walking and i found a board game store and i'm like this is awesome so i think toronto has a thriving tabletop yeah. population how do they survive and they cannot survive in london i don't know magic cards not magic the the wizardry magic the game <laughs> yeah that's yeah, basically that's all these places have like every night there's a card game night here you have Friday Night Magic, you have Yu-Gi-Oh! on, I don't know, Wednesdays, you have Pokemon on Mondays or whatever. Yeah, so, that's common uh, in Greece too. I mean, they survive from Magic the Gathering and uh, Pokemon and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. So aren't so, you going to ask me how, what I've been up to? I mean, you sound very selfish right now. <laughs> <laughs> I do, so uh, how you've been up to? What have you uh, have you been nothing up Nothing much. To? <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. We uh, we bought Stationfall recently, and we've been kind of crushing on it. It's a really nice game, and I know me, you, Byron, and Dima are planning on doing a tabletop sessions does tabletop simulator TTS does TTS video for the uh, first time this weekend. So look out for that next week, everybody, on our YouTube channel. <sighs> I'm and, looking forward. Uh, I mean, this is like, a, a, remember how long is this uh, dream of ours to do TTS does TTS? Years. <laughs> years. <laughs> and I think the key to it was lowering our standards. <laughs> but if you've ever wondered just how shiny Hippocrates' head is, you'll be able to find out. So people uh, put some extra, extra shine on the head for, uh, for this weekend. Yes. I will be ready. Sorry, did I hurt your feelings? No, anyway, not at all. moving. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you did. <laughs> also, um, so you remember I uh, narrated this uh, Twilight Imperium book, The Veiled Masters. Um, oh, yeah, what happened with that? It's finally out, and it's awesome. Uh, uh, I mean, I suck, obviously, but everyone else in it is excellent. And it's hard for me to listen to because I can't really listen to the books I uh, narrate. Um, but congratulations uh, it's good yeah and you can get it on graphic audio and it's already on pre-order on audible um so that should be out like august 14th so if you were interested in checking out Twilight Imperium, you can get the 
first two books, they're already out. I'm not in those. And the third one, The Veiled Masters, I am the main narrator of that book. So uh, check it out. And um, always, if you want the graphic audio version, which is the one I'm in, look for the one that says Dramatized Adaptation in parentheses after the title. Otherwise, you'll just get a regular narration, which has nothing to do with me. In fact, you know what? I'll throw the link in the description. So if you are interested in going to it, I literally make no money off of it. I'm just super excited to be officially part of the Twilight Imperium universe. Um, whether it sells a million copies or one, I just got paid what I got paid. So uh, check it out. And uh, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's really great space pulp. And I think the third one from the stories I read is my favorite of the three and not just because i have this sultry voice that's in the uh, audiobook <laughs> everybody should be ex uh, excited about the twilight imperium stories i guess everyone uh, should be as ipo says listen to ipo he is your president uh, uh i think we need also to mention uh, it's not in our comments but uh i've i've watched this new documentary from uh czech uh, game editions Ah, yeah, one the one how they made through the ages and stuff. How they made through the ages, how they founded the company and uh, stuff like that. It's very, very cool. interesting. It's very it's it's a good one. I haven't watched that yet, but uh, you just reminded me. I got to get that watched. So my one of yeah, my uh, the, favorite designers and favorite games. So and the second episode comes out today. Ooh, today being yeah. August ninth. Um, yeah. Yes. So other than all this uh, boring stuff about traveling to London and narrating audiobooks and all these things, something very exciting happened. Mo, our buddy and co-host of the Storysmiths podcast, came to visit in Toronto. He came with Erica, his wife, and his two kids. And every day, him and Erica, Mo's mom and, and sisters and brother live in Toronto. So every day they would take their children hand it over, hand them over to their mom, be like, here you go, here are your <laughs> wonderful grandchildren, and they would come over. <laughs> Dream vacation, I call it. <laughs> Basically, if they weren't here, they went on a cottage weekend, but other than that, they were over all the time. So we played a bunch of games, and it was just super fun. Um, we played Leaving Earth, which was really fun to get to the table. Roll for the Galaxy, I haven't played that in ages. Cryptid. Uh, this game called Polis, which I accidentally traded for. I thought I was trading for the war game Polis, but it turned out to be like a light civilization game. And uh, oh. I traded something quite valuable for it, and I feel <laughs> really stupid. What did but, you trade? Um, I traded the, the anniversary edition of, uh, of Dungeon Lords because oh, I no. have the regular version of Dungeon Lords. I didn't really ah, okay. want the anniversary. So I thought I was trading for like, I don't know, like the, the war game, Polis. Yes. And like an idiot, turns out there was another game called Polis that I wasn't aware of. It happened to everyone. Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> a bad trade. Even with after playing it, it's a bad trade. But on the bright side, I refused to play it for like two years because I was upset at the game. But I finally got it to the table and it's pretty good. It's a good little light game. It's, around the weight of Takinoko or something like that. And it's a really good one for that weight. Mm, I actually nice. really enjoyed it. We'll talk about that another time. And we also play Pax Viking. But uh, what I wanted to talk about was Mo and Erica coming and just breaking all the game. You know, you spend so much time playing with the same people that 
you kind of expect people to follow a basic rationality. <laughs> what does that mean? It. Well, you know, I played with you guys all the time and everyone is just kind of doing sort of the right thing to try to win, right? Like that's the, <laughs> the goal. And then the group over here that I play with, everyone is, you know, trying to win the game and trying to, you know, oh, the, minimize risk, minimize Competitive luck. people, you mean? No, no, here's the thing, all right? So, so for those that don't know what Leaving Earth is, Leaving Earth is a game which is like a very kind of realistic game. I mean, it isn't really realistic, but it tries to be grounded in reality. And it's all based around the space race in the 60s. And the idea is like, like the first chapter of the rule book is basics of rocketry, right? So basically you're calculating like payload mass versus the, the amount of gravitational pull. And then that lets you come up with the thrust that you need to escape the gravity or to move from one place to another. You have all sorts of things. You, if you send an astronaut to space, you better have researched life support and you have to have resources for them to survive. And, you know, if, if you want to do re-entry, you need to have researched it. Everything in the game has to be researched. So the game is like, you get the game, you can, you can buy technology, but it comes with a certain level of inherent flaws in it, major and minor failures. And you spend some time researching, doing cheap missions with cheap rockets, just to get rid of all the kinks, because you don't want to load up your ship with astronauts and food and supplies and, and probes and then send it out and it just explodes, right? Well, apparently, I did not make this very clear to Mo, <laughs> because he spent, you would basically, for the whole game, You'd buy a tech, and then he would just launch a mission, like, and just rely on the luck of the draw to pull cards. It was a cowboy space program, right? So, like, he was like, "Oh, Erica is about to be the first one to have astronauts survive in space for a year. Buy a rocket, put the block cards <laughs> on it, put people on it, uh, put some food on it, launch. Do you have reentry? Nope. Do you have landing? Nope. Do you have life support? I bought life support." He launches, he draws a random card, it passes. Do you want to research that out so that, you know, you get better? Nope. Puts it back in the deck, shuffles it up, goes up into space, draw the life support card. Did you survive? Yep. Do you want to research that? Nope. Put it back in the deck. <laughs> <laughs> so he was just like, he had like all the tech and didn't do any, re not one research action. And the entire, he never got rid of a card from the outcome deck. Did you explain to him how the game works? Oh, I mean, did he, yeah. Did he understand? <laughs> yes, and the funny thing is, he beat Erica, his wife, to that mission because she had spent two missions, two turns basically working towards that. Erica was so pissed off. But the thing is, Mo sent them into space with one year worth of supplies. They all died. <laughs> <laughs> he was basically... So Uh, making spaceships in his uh, garage. Basically, cowboy <laughs> space program. Tell you. So basically, he stole the, uh, the six-point mission from Erica, but then he lost four points because two of his astronauts died. So the card was only worth two points, but he stole it from Erica, so he was happy. Um, and then another, and then Erica, because she, you know, I don't want to let her off the hook either. At one point, she realizes she spent all her money doing Soyuz research, But the missions are all pretty far, so she needs some pretty powerful stuff like the Saturn rocket. And she hadn't researched the Saturn rocket. But Dima, who is like risk averse, 
had fully researched Saturn rockets, right? So Dima had spent the time to make sure these rockets were good, spent a ton of money. Erica needed it. So she tells Dima, how much do you want for the Saturn technology? Because you know you can trade technology or buy technology. And Dima's like, your whole budget, $25 million, because you're still getting a bargain from, from what I spent. And Erica goes, okay, I'll give you all my money next turn, right? Oh. But you give me the Saturn technology this turn. And in return, I will give you an astronaut as a hostage. <laughs> collateral so she gave Dima an astronaut to hold as a hostage and she and the next turn okay Dima now sorry so I need the, the I astronaut need the, I need the background was she the Soviets and Dima was the Americans what was the she was the, the Japanese story? and Dima was the French I think I can't remember so the French was keeping hostage the Japanese astronaut <laughs> yeah but actually Mo was the For Chinese one year. But Mo is the Chinese, which made sense that he wasn't researching any of his tech and just said, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, Chinese in the 60s, maybe. <laughs> anyway, so did they have a program a, in the 60s, the Chinese? Anyway, I, I, don't I don't know. So basically, there was a swap. And then literally, she got her budget of $25 million, handed it over to Dima, and then Dima took and gave her her astronaut back. That's not and in I the rules like, of the game. I was like, it is. It is in the rules of the game. <laughs> to give but, a hostage. No, not to give a hostage. But I was like, keep the fucking astronaut. I'm keeping my 25 million. An astronaut costs like a couple million. <laughs> but apparently that uh, just shows you how terrible I am as a human being. Exactly. It was extremely entertaining. I played the game a bunch. And every time the game has gone with the following formula. We sit there, we we bring out the missions, everyone takes out a notepad, we do a bunch of calculations to figure out what we want to accomplish, we budget everything for about an hour or 40 minutes, and then we start playing the game and everyone is very seriously buying technology, researching it, and trying to get to the missions first. The closest thing I've seen to chaos is once Byron was like, oh, if I don't go for this Hail Mary, Elias is definitely going to win the game. So Byron launched and tried and he didn't he couldn't make it. That's the closest thing I've seen, but that makes sense because you're trying to win the game. This game was hilarious <laughs> and it broke the game in a way because I don't think that's what Joseph Fatula meant when he created the game. But again, on on the other side, not really, because it kind of gave new life to the game. So the game can be that serious, wonderful rocketry space research thing. And it can also be hostages and cowboy space programs, you know? <laughs> That's an amazing point you're doing right now. Yeah, it, it made the like, game better in yes, my head. It, it, yeah. yeah, it could be like for very serious gamers and at the same time could be like the funniest game ever. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, it was it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And even though... It was not what I expected when I set up the game that night. I'm so glad that it happened the way that it did. So that was Mo and Erica's uh, visit of the game. And when we played Leaving Earth, um, and it was cool because it was the first time I got to bring out my huge wooden box that has all the Leaving Earth stuff in it. So that was exciting as well. But um, wonderful experience and gave a new uh, whimsy or like fun 
level to a game that is usually very serious. And maybe the thing that I would always hold against it a little bit was that it's too much like just like math, right? Turns out you don't have to. If you're okay with the consequences, you don't have to. <laughs> For the people that uh, are not old listeners, uh, Living Earth is our number one game of all time. Yeah, according to our as top a collective. 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. According to our top 20, we did like back in 2020, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Maybe we need a new one. I think we do. But honestly, I think maybe before this, Leaving Earth might have dropped a few places because like it just kind of felt a little samey over time. But now I feel like it's jumped up again because I feel like <laughs> even though I would never do it because I hate like pulling a random failure and stuff. I feel like it had a bit of Galaxy Trucker in it, you know, <laughs> just a little bit. Like, if you're okay with just like, Man. if I explode, I explode, you know. It, it's it's anyway. It, it it added more fun back into the game. So if you know, even though it's not something I might do, I'm glad that it's an option, and it's definitely something that I will tell people is an option if they want to do it in the future. But just be aware of the consequences because I like the idea of both kinds of players existing within the same game. The one that's calculating and figuring out everything and the one that just puts some people on a ship, ships them off and steals the points, but then loses all the points anyway because everyone dies. So it's just, uh, yeah, it, it kind of jumped back up. So I think it might still stay there at that number one place. Uh, it's not my number one game, but collectively as a group, it might uh, that might push it over the edge again. Yeah, leaving Earth. By the way, that designer, have you tried anything else from Mr. Fatula? I Has mean, he done anything else? I am just checking now, and yes. I mean, the Golden Wilderness, I don't know any of his game. Action Works, Victory Through Industry, Vikings on the Volga. I've never heard of any of these. Era of Prosperity. <laughs> I've never heard of any of these games. I mean, I'll, uh, maybe I'll look into some of them. But there's no ra- ratings. I mean, like the the action works. It's from 2013. It has like 41 ratings. Well, don't forget that he makes he, these games like basically in a it's garage. Published, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think Leaving Earth just gained an extra bit of notoriety because it really is a brilliant game. Not saying that his others aren't, but um, it's definitely an attractive coverage, attractive game as well. So, you know. Maybe I'll look into it. Maybe I'll pick up a couple more of uh, Mr. Fatula's game. Nice. That was uh, very nice. So uh, while you were doing that, uh, for the last two weeks, I'm playing my solo game from GMT, Mr. President. Uh, so, so uh, Mr. President is a, a solo game about being the president of the United States during the first two decades of the century. The game comes with a huge board, which is actually two boards. It's hundreds of cardboard tokens. Uh, in the box, there are eight rule books, or eight different manuals, if you wish, and eight A4 pages of reference sheets with all your available actions. So it's a master of a game. It's basically a war game. I mean, it reminds you of with all these tables and references, it reminds you of definitely of a war game. 
the game is supposed to be 16-hour game for your first years in office. It took me 17 hours only for my first year. Oh, my God. But uh, it was my first game. I was uh, cross-referencing every manual. So it was four times more, but I guess it makes sense for your first game. But still, it's, it's, a, it's a huge amount uh, of uh, commitment. Uh, it took me four and a half hours for setting up. Because Did you have to like commit a table to it that nobody else could use, or yes, the whole living room table was dedicated. I'm I'm, a, I'm home alone. That's why I was playing this game uh, all this uh, time the last two weeks, so I could do that. If you don't have a table to dedicate for this game, you cannot play. Wow! Or you can play it, I guess, in a Tabletop Simulator, which is another option. The second year, of course, went faster. Okay, so the first year was 16 hours. My second year was like five hours. I did half the year. In total, I have played the game 23 hours so far. <laughs> so what's amazing. in the game? <laughs> to give you an idea, the board is split in two areas. The domestic concepts where you count your party approval, your cabinet effectiveness, your, you pass lows and you win legacy points, which are the victory points of the game. And in the end of the game, you're going to compare yourself, your legacy points with, uh, let's say, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, by the way, there is a, a table of presidents to compare yourself in the, uh, in the end of the rulebook. Oh, my God. Uh, and how, and uh, does this person rate these presidents? Is that what's happening? Yes, actually, they are using, they say, uh, from a research, uh, I don't know, uh, company or from a university or the ratings of the previous presidents but they have removed they say in a note all presidents after 1960 not to create mm. a controversy so who's number one uh, I Lincoln? Think I, th I think it's Lincoln yeah, uh, <laughs> however they have even uh, removed Roosevelt because I was trying to see Roosevelt and Eisenhower which are, which is, are after the second world war but uh, and during the second world war but before 60s, and they were not there. So they even removed those guys. I was going to so, ask if having like more than two terms like FDR did would, uh, would give you more points or less points. So uh, <laughs> no, the, the, base, the, the sandbox uh, scenario of the game uh, lets you play four years, plus you're trying for the re-election. And re-election gives you a lot of legacy points, so you should succeed in your re-election. And then it's over. You have, you have the opportunity to continue, but then your legacy points cannot be compared with the table. I see. Okay, so this is the, the half of the, of the board is the domestic issues. The other part of the board has 10 different windows with maps of uh, regions of the world. Yes. And, and as the rulebook says, this is where you, you can lose the game versus the domestic uh, part of the board, which is where you earn legacy points, and this is where you get points and you can win the game. Yeah. So in the world map, uh, there are different uh, counters as regional stability, regional alignment, which means how friendly is the region to the United States. There are terror groups, there are civil wars, wars, conflict statuses, 
tensions, allies, friendship uh, counters, nuclear program progress, uh, especially for uh, Iran, unstable states. Uh, there's so many things that are happening in, in these boards and uh, maps. Uh, personally, I was defeated in the middle of the second year because one of the uh, loose conditions of the game is that if Iran has completed its nuclear program and then there is a, a war between Israel and Iran, then you lose. And this is what happened to me. Because oh, so Israel, you, when you say you played 23 <laughs> hours, you mean the game's over. The game's over because I lost. Because I was defeated in the, in, the, in the middle of the second. Everything else was going perfect. My party <laughs> support was good. My public approval was at the peak. Uh, I mean, I didn't have any uh, rock states anywhere in the world. Uh, terror groups were under control. Everything was fine. But this <laughs> small problem where Israel is attacking Iran and Iran has a nuclear bomb was really devastating for the world. So, like, <laughs> so I guess... Small, small problem. <laughs> it was, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, but, but you get the point. So I, I cannot go in more detail about the mechanisms of the game and uh, because I can talk for hours. But yeah. basically the game lets you take one of 33 different actions or if you count the sub-actions, the sub there are 66 different actions that you can take. Then you roll a die and slightly affect some of the hundreds of counters on the board. <laughs> <laughs> so that is what's <laughs> happening in the game. Uh, then you use twice the time that uh, it took to make a decision to roll dice and see how the world moves and reacts to your... Uh, uh, actions. So that's the, the main uh, criticism for the game that almost two thirds of the game is uh, uh, basically running the other countries and see what's going on and by just mm. rolling dice and not taking decisions. Interesting. Yeah. Is there like a flow chart? Of AI decision making, or because uh, you know, like in other GMT there are games, eight rule books. I'm telling you, I mean, like <laughs> more than half of them is about that. Because when I'm playing like solo coin games, right? Um, if I'm if I'm using the the AI for we can't use AI anymore. If we're using the um, the this artificial decision making system for um, for like what the other groups are doing, basically, it's like does this group have control of this area? If not, then check this. If that, check that. And then it will tell you at the end of all that what to do. Do the event or do this kind of action. Is it that kind of flowchart that you have to follow? Yes, so okay. one of the rule books is about how Russia reacts to things. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, uh, 16 pages, I think. And I imagine that's the... Uh, Standalone expansion that you can buy, which is <laughs> Mr. Premier. <laughs> Could you? Maybe, no, the standalone expansion will have like Ukraine or something. I don't know. And there is another rule book about China, how China acts and reacts to things. Okay. Uh, so pros and cons about the game. Uh, the graphic design makes the game beautiful. I love it. It's, it's very Ca interesting looking for sure. I've been looking at it this whole time. Um, it, I feel like it, it, it's what I would hope it looks like, right? Like a situation room, you know what I mean? Where you're trying to control yes, everything. Yes, exactly. Yeah. However, I have a, a, a thing about all this beautiful design that 
it uh, can take some improvement in the efficiency, uh, which means that the graphic design of uh, the turns and the action tokens, uh, there are so many, and actually there are no reason to have different uh, tokens for each specific thing, like uh, there are like improvement, uh, economy improves tokens, okay? But there is a special uh, economy token for China. There is another special economy token for Russia. There is a different economy token for Europe. There's a different economy token for, uh, yeah. uh, for US. You could have just a counter. I mean, there is a, there is a uh, you know, cells uh, on the board that you just uh, move this token up and down. That's all you're doing. You don't yeah. need this token to write on top economy of Europe because the whole track says economy of Europe. Okay. So the reason it took but me four and a half hours... what you're criticizing is just GMT design in general, right? That's what, They're always like that. So like GMT design, all the tokens just have a ton of text on them, which is super hard to follow. And there, there, there was completely... I, I counted there is 81 tokens that they don't have any specific reasons to be specific, and it could be just a white cube. Because if it, if it was a white cube, I could just, you know, uh, move it left and, left and right on its track, and that's all. You don't need yeah. a, specific, a specific token for everything, but it makes the game beautiful. I give them that. So 81 unnecessarily specific tokens. And it's funny because this, the exact same uh, comment was made by Krag, a friend of mine here that played Mr. President too. Uh, that's my number one uh, comment. My number two comment is the size. As we said before, it, could, it took the whole living room table and yeah. it didn't... Uh, actually, the living room table was not enough. I used also three chairs. <laughs> <laughs> one chair had the box, the other had the rule books. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. I can't play it with the family at home. The only solution I can find right now is, is a tabletop simulator. And uh, I think we're buying a gaming table so you can leave it set up under. Yes, exactly. Put, uh, yeah. Or for well, all that, these. Granted, uh, that is a bit of an expensive solution. All these lucky people out there who is a gaming table. They, they <laughs> yeah, I wonder what that feels like. <laughs> they can do that. Uh, another comment some interesting mechanisms uh, in the game. I wish there were more than uh, a few because most of the mechanisms are just roll a die and see what happens in the table. Sure. Uh, so there is this cascading events cards where uh, there is a problem, uh, you suffer the consequences, but the, you know, the card will go back in the, in the deck and it will come again to you and it will haunt mm -hmm. you. Uh, I feel that this is a missed opportunity because I wish that every cascading card was giving me a goal to, to work towards. So I could say, okay, you know, this happened, but if I pass this law, if I change this uh, uh, thing, then I will have less consequences in the future. But no, it's just something that will come back. Rarely okay. it happens. Rarely there is a, a, a goal, but uh, usually no. Do you so use was all like the potential events that could happen in every game, or is it a random deck every time you play? It's a... There are 180 uh, cards, and in every game, 
you play with almost two thirds of them. Okay. All right. So yes, there's a lot of uh, events that uh, won't happen, and even these 120 cars, there uh, you're not gonna see all of them. So okay. there is a lot of uh, replayability uh, in respect to events. Uh, now about the approach that this, the designer took politically uh, on this game, there is a, a lot to be said. Uh, in the beginning, I was thinking, oh, this is so American. They are thinking that they are the policemen of the world. They're just trying, you know, the, it's uh, the American president's uh, uh, responsibility to stop. Uh, North Korea from, I don't know, uh, um, financing uh, terror groups in uh, East Pacific or, I mean, that was the idea. But then I realized that it's just a cynical approach of the world where the president is here to protect global peace only as much as needed for his re-election. If you think about it, it makes sense. So if you don't fuck up completely in the world scene, and you, go, you, you do pretty well in uh, uh, the homeland, in the United States, then you will get victory points, you, you will get re-elected. So you care about the world uh, as much as there's no a big fuck up like I did with Iran attacking, uh, sorry, Israel attacking Iran while Iran has uh, a nuclear bomb. So, so if you don't let the world come to an end, Otherwise, you're good. You're good. You can let the world uh, burn uh, so, all along. So what you're saying is that they are policing the world, but instead of for a altruistic thing, which we give them too much credit for, it's more selfish than that. So we're not exactly. being cynical I mean, enough. Okay. I, so I think it's a cynical approach from the designer. I don't know if he sees like like that or he thinks that, it's a patriotic thing to take care of the whole world. I'm not sure if he, if he sees like that, but if you think of the mechanism of the game where you can only lose the, the game uh, by the world map and not win anything, it makes sense. I feel that it makes sense in the end. Other things to, to say about the game, the game comes with a 10 sequence flip book that takes you literally from hand and guides you step by step in the 10 sequence process. Uh, usually this in other games is a, you know, a one-page reference sheet. Here it is 28 pages just to, <laughs> to uh, go through one year of the game. And it's so excellent, this rulebook. It's so, and, it, uh, and it's also so necessary to have this. I mean, the game without it, it would be unplayable completely. The flipbook has also references to specific pages of the rulebook if you want to uh, go and check the whole rules and everything. And has references to the charts you're going to need. It's extremely helpful. It, it really uh, is a huge plus in this game. So, so I have a question about that, which I would love if you could. Is the game that complicated? Because it's hard to grok, like say like a PAX Renaissance because it's opaque, or is it just a lot of rules? Like No, no, uh, no it's, just a, it's just a lot of rules. Okay. It's just a lot of rules combined with uh, your, uh, as I said, like 31 different actions you can do. So even if you know what's going on, it's very hard to remember, okay, what is the action I should take? I mean, if you, if you really want to go through your 31 actions every time, it's going to take a, a lot of time. And this is what happened to me. 
Yeah. The last week, I prepared a visual reference for myself <laughs> in Excel for these 31 actions. And yesterday, I uploaded this to Board Game Geek. There so he is. So if somebody wants guy. to do that, I mean... I want you to know I still use your reference for 1846 because it is the best reference ever made. Thank you very much. Thank you. What it's about really Pericles? Good. That one, I don't. no one wants to play it with me. <laughs> <laughs> we should make an episode about Pericles. Whenever I express the fact that everyone who plays it for some reason other than me and you gets unreasonably angry by the end of the game. Nobody <laughs> wants to play with <laughs> It's a hard game. I mean, it's, it, you're supposed to stab your partner. People partner. are too so, in their so, feelings. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, it's a, you need special people to play that game. To be, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I, I want to say the game is immersive still. Uh, several times I caught myself uh, thinking, oh my God, I love Chinese people. Because it just <laughs> helped me get rid of a, 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 a terror so group random. in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I seriously uh, talked to myself and I said that phrase, I love Chinese people, just That's because they helped me get rid of a terror group in the Middle East. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then the next turn, you're like, ah, these Chinese uh, government. Exactly. No. Yeah. So my conclusions about the game. The feeling of the game is like entering a spaceship with 200 lamps and buttons that you can press and uh, tweak, as you said yes. before. Uh, so other people will love it. Others will be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. For sure, it's not for everyone. Yeah. My second conclusion, there is a lot of luck in this game. It's an old school design. It doesn't hide it that it's an old school design. If you Sorry, can the, I ask a question about that though? You know, in a lot of GMT and Victory Point games, the luck, you'll roll the, the dice to see what happens, but then you make a decision accordingly. My question is, when you make a decision, do you then have to again roll the dice to see what happens? Yes. Or, or the randomness is for the board state, but your decisions are not random, or are your decisions also reliant on a luck of the roll of the dice? Uh, there are decisions with a definite uh, outcome, but most of them you have to roll a die and see what happens. There are a lot of modifiers that can guide your uh, decisions, I mm -hmm. guess. I mean, if, you, if I have 70% chance of achieving something, I'm going to roll yeah. for that. If I have 30%, I'm going to think it twice. Sure. So that's the thing. I guess for a political game, maybe it makes sense to roll a die because there are so many things and, so, and nothing is uh, certain in this world. So there, there's always a chance that uh, tomorrow Israel will attack Iran. Mm. And you cannot actually uh, handle this otherwise. Yeah. But the, my problem is that maybe sometimes they went too far. As an example, after having done myself a long process for all these 20 hours of play to pass a certain bill, I ended up rolling a D6 to see if oh the bill God. is a landmark bill. And if you roll one or two, then it's a landmark bill and you gain some legacy points, which is, as I said, the victory points. If you don't roll one and two, you don't get any. I so that's, that's harsh. I mean, you don't need that. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Conclusion three, the game has a lot of passive time. Two thirds of, the, of these hours I spent were uh, just rolling dice to see how the world reacts and progresses. Mm -hmm. As I said, China and Russia have their own manual of how they act in their turn. Mm -hmm. And because of all this, you have to love doing this shit in order to love a game. 
Uh, if you don't like this thing, I mean, you cannot. There's yeah. no way. Kraga, as I said before, my friend just gave up. He says, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to spend. I spent like one hour to see what Russia does. And in the end, they just roll a die and do some shit. <laughs> so so I, he was thinking, and we were talking about this together, that maybe a video game implementation will can take care of this stuff. But as I think more about it now, I was thinking, okay, if a new terror group pops out of nowhere in Africa, that's a bad video game. Why? <laughs> because you don't know why it's there. At least yeah. by rolling, you know that there was a chance. You didn't, uh, maybe uh, you just left too many uh, civil wars, too many unstable states in Africa. You didn't do anything about it. And this increased the chance of a terror group. So maybe this uh, feeling is helpful to the board game and it, it really cannot be translated in a video game. I don't mm. know. And finally, uh, as I said, two-thirds of the game uh, is just rolling for other countries. Uh, you have to love this shit. Personally, I like this shit. This is why I like the game. I don't love it, but I like the story that it's making. I like the audacity of the scope the level of immersion and the time invested invested to to this because it will make you remember events forever like my first summit with uh, the president of china in europe where we ended the civil war and uh, i still remember that i mean i was imagining myself in uh, geneva and stuff like that <laughs> or how close i was to to win a peace nobel prize if only in the end of my first year israel hadn't been replying to Hezbollah's attack, but they did. So they, there was a war of my ally in the world, so they refused my Nobel Prize. Otherwise, I was, I was going to be there with uh, Marie Curie. <laughs> uh, so I guess it's like, you know, Twilight, it's, it's epic. It's like Twilight Imperium. It, uh, it makes a story. Interesting. I, I have one last question on the game. Do you feel... Like, because how long did you wait to receive the game after P500 backing? I ba I backed this game in first uh, of January 2018. Do you feel like it was worth that wait? Because that will give me I think, no. everything I need. To no, one hundred percent no. But you know, I would say that for every game. I think. No, I wouldn't. I would one hundred percent not say that, because there are several games that I waited three years for. Frosthaven was worth it for me. Um, so, but I but mean, what do you mean it was years. worth it? I mean, I mean, you could buy it otherwise. I mean, that's what I mean. Uh, it was not worth oh, it. I mean, no, that doesn't bother. I'm just saying, like, so when you buy a game, there's some anticipation that comes into it. I'm not talking about when you can buy. It. I don't care if I play a game that's brand new or a game that's 30 years old. I'm just saying, like, there's an anticipation when you put your money down and you add it to your collection and pre-ordered status, you know, on BGG and you're excited to receive it and five years go by and then you finally receive it. And you're like, I've been looking forward to this game for five years. That if, if any game lives up to that, that's immediately a great game, you know? So it, true, but I don't think I mean. there's any game that will live without. I mean, it's five years. I five just years, told you, it's two months. Even did it for three years. So not for it's, me. I think I was thinking that I don't want to back any other game in the future. I mean, I was talking about Hegemony, remember, uh, yeah. the previous episode, which is a, an amazing game, but still, I don't think there's any reason to, to wait for one year. Just wait for uh, the... I mean, uh, 
I just I just be five hundred at another game like a few months ago, so I'm probably gonna wait another four years to get that. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I mean, yeah, you you get caught in the moment, and you say, okay, yeah, why not? Let's do that. Are you saying I'm a prisoner of my emotions? Is that what you're saying? We all are. <laughs> well, that's why I should never be Mr. President. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, I was, that's I very was interesting. I was happy, and that was Mr. President. That's by Gene Billingsley, who is like the founder of GMT, isn't he? Yes, correct. All right. Fantastic. That's definitely something I look forward to trying one day. But as you say, 20-something hours to lose on turn two is not like, we don't have that kind of time anymore, right? So, um, But uh, once your family comes, you're never playing this game until they go back on summer break next year. No, no. Uh, I'm seriously thinking of uh, taking it in tabletop uh, simulator, and uh, I checked it, and I think it works. You know what works? Plastic tables that you can fold away when you're not using them. So you get two plastic tables, set them up. They'll be there for like two weeks, and then you pack it down and put it in the storage room. So there you go. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm going to stick with tabletop simulator. <laughs> So uh, another game that uh, Mo and Erica and me and Dima played was Pax Viking, which is a game I've had for a minute and um, never never played, never got the chance to play. And this is supposed to be, it's by John Menker and Ion Games, and it's supposed to be like the simplest entry point for Pax games. And uh, uh, I wasn't super excited about it because I had read online some stuff about how, you know, it might be too simple for the Paxaholics like myself, but maybe too random for um, for Eurogamers who are there trying to attract into the Pax ecosystem. So that was the common perception. So I wasn't super eager. Whenever I had a chance, I would was more excited to try to get Porfiriana back to the table or whatever. Um, now, it is, in fact, the simplest Pax game and the most approachable because the board makes it very centered, whereas... Most packs, most packs games, whilst they do might have a board, the game is really like all in just the cards. This game does have a central board, and it does facilitate a lot. I managed to teach it in about twenty-five minutes, which is amazing for a packs game. Twenty-five um, minutes, yeah, it's a record, I think. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but the thing that I want to get to it is those same thing. Yeah, is it too simple for a packsaholic? I mean, not really, because like. The things that make a PAX game great are still present in the game. So as somebody who loves Renaissance and Porphyriana, I really enjoyed this one. I don't think it's on their level, but I found the same feeling that I find there. The feeling of a PAX game is this. Yes, there's a market. Yes, there's common elements, multi-use cards, market, blah, blah, blah. But the real feeling of a PAX game, the reason I play PAX games, is because victory is a moving target and you're on a train. So, like, the whole game is moving, and there's a moving target that you might find half a turn to gain that victory. And if you can't pull it off in that victory, you have to change your whole strategy. And that's, like, the best thing about a PAX game, is that it's always exciting, and it's very reactionary to what other people are doing. You can't just say, I like doing the this strategy, because it won't work, right? And that was an issue that, Mo actually experienced in the game because Mo started the game and he was kind of the way that the random setup was is we were all kind of in the 
uh, in Europe and like the Nordic areas, right? But Mo, his base started in the east. So he was all by himself and the three of us were clumped up on the opposite end of the board. So he started working on one of the victory conditions, which is to get a bunch of ventures out in the east wind, which is what they call the east section of the board. But not enough cards came out to pull that off, right? And he got pissed about that because the way the game is, there are 220 cards in the game and you only use 12 per player. So <laughs> in our game, we used 48 cards out of 220. That right? sounds too random. Is it balanced? So one fifth. Well, that, you, you play PAX games. You're, smarter, you're smart enough not to ask that question. They're not balanced, right? PAX <laughs> games, you have to balance them, right? Like it's your job to stop somebody from winning. It's not the game's job to stop someone from winning, which is why a lot of your gamers don't like packs, and I totally get it. So I do agree that this this game also has that issue, right? Um, so you can't count on the balance. You have to constantly look at what's happening and adjust for your own victory and to stop other people's from victory, which is my favorite thing about all board games, is adjusting on the fly and coming up with new solutions. Like... I, I love just putting my head down and being like, well, everything I was doing isn't working. Let me come up with something else. Because otherwise, you just decided on something and you're going for it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And you're going to sit there and complain. But the best thing is when you're like, well, that didn't work. Let's come up with something new. That is a PAX game. So whilst I agree with the common conception that it is maybe too random for Euro gamers, I don't agree that it's too simple for the PAXaholics because it still has that element, which is you are trying to hit a moving target from a train. And um, before I get on to, to some other cool so, thing that happened. So yeah. may I say something? According to the story you said before about Mo and Living Earth, that means that Mo should be good at this game because he's not about strategizing, you know, But this game is before. random. This, this game is about pivoting, right? There is no randomness. There's no dice in the game. There's no randomly pulling cards like you see the cards before you purchase them from the saga row the market um there, it isn't a random game he can't rely on luck to be the differentiating factor but it does not let you just be like i'm doing this from turn one and then just be like well that's what i'm doing the whole game because you're only playing with one fifth or one sixth of the cards <laughs> so it's like will that be an opportunity and fax games are all about finding the opportunity as the game progresses, pivoting and hitting that target. But, yeah. but sorry, you said each player has 12 cards? No, there's 12 cards per player in the, in the deck. In the, ah, okay, so yeah. 48. So this, there is a market about the cards. There's a market of cards, just like every pack. Oh, game. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so just a bit about the game. I don't want to spend too much time because it's complicated, but like there's a market of Saga cards that come out. You have your ships that you're building and putting out. You can get these cards and these cards can be all sorts of things they can be ventures that you can establish which will give you some sort of ability they can be um event cards which cause something to happen on the board as long as you have the requirement established somewhere on the board they can be advisors they can be god that you worship which are cards that go on your player board so the cards have all sorts of uses and basically there's four victory conditions and you trigger and a victory check Whenever somebody plays an event card, anyone plays an event card, you check if anyone meets any of the four victory conditions. And that's it. And if the game doesn't, if no one gets that, 
at the end of the game, you go to a tiebreaker because uh, no one has got it, and then you check the tiebreakers. But of course, that that's not likely. That, but that's another. That's the thing that I love in this game. So, like all PAX games, it has that brilliance to it. And Erica was about to win the game. She was about to get all her Sweden followers on the board and one of each other type, and that was one of the victory conditions. And I was like, well, nobody's close enough to do this. And I don't think I can actually stop her from doing this by the time it gets back to her turn. But then I realized, again, the pivoting thing. So I was working towards victory this whole game. But then I was like, wait, if I force the end of the game right now, she technically hasn't declared victory yet, which means we'll go to a tiebreaker and I win the tiebreaker. And I literally tried to force the game to end, knowing that I wasn't winning to win the tiebreaker. And that's so that's the moving target, right? I spent a lot of the game trying to get to one of these victory conditions. But when I saw someone else was going to hit one first, I tried to force a game end without victory. And I couldn't <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> but that moment where I realized that maybe I could and maybe I could literally pull victory out of my ass, it was wonderful. And it was it, it gave me that feeling of Pax Porphyriana, uh, which is my favorite Pax game. And at the end, I couldn't. It got back to Erica. The others didn't do anything to stop her, uh, despite my urging. <laughs> and... Uh, and she managed to win the game, and I had a terrific time. And uh, really, I think it's a good PAX game. I think it is the intro point for PAX games. And there's a lot of elements that the board facilitates that makes the game easier for people that aren't used to PAX games. It's closer to the simplicity level of PAX Premier than the others, but uh, second edition anyway, which again uses a board and a player board to facilitate a little bit of ease and automation and organization into the game. Um, but all in all, I would recommend Pax uh, Viking, despite the fact that it doesn't have the best recommendations out there. I do. I'm keeping it. And I definitely am eager to get it out again. Like, I really liked it. And uh, currently, when it comes to my rankings of Pax games, which are fluid, uh, my top two are Porphyriana and Renaissance. I think... Uh, mine or Furiana over Renaissance, but you know, I love Renaissance. Mine too. Not yeah, much. We, have, we have the same rating. Ranking. But then it, for me, it's Pax Viking. Then, oh, that's interesting now. Then Pax Premier, then Pax Emancipation. Uh, because unfortunately, Pax Emancipation doesn't actually feel like a Pax game so far. Um, I'm yet to play Transhumanity, and I've backed, I've pre ordered uh, Hispanica. So I'll report on those when they come out and where they fall in the rankings. But yeah, the fact that this was supposed to be an everyone's sort of universal opinion, kind of the worst PAX game, and it falls in the center for me. I mean, I think that's pretty good. And one, I really sorry, enjoyed it. One minor question. Uh, you said uh, Mo started in the East. Yeah. So, so did he have access to the sea? We all have access to the sea, yeah. Okay, so it was like St. Peter, like Finland. Well, the nice thing about longboats, also Viking longboats, is they, they can use the sea or the river systems, right? Ah, so okay. it's it's very it, you're never really trapped in this game. Um, you know, Dima also couldn't really get any headway into the game, but I I asked her if she liked it, and she said, "Yeah." The, I, the reason I had trouble with the game is I was trying to grok the strategy, but I liked the game a lot. Erica 
who doesn't like Mo's always trying to buy games and Eric is like, uh, we don't need 7,000 games that we never play. Um, <laughs> uh, Mo, Erica got up and said, I think we should buy this game. And Mo wow. was the one this time that was like, no. <laughs> That's the real praise for the game. Because yeah. Mo was grumpy. His, Erica, his by the way, she's an influ influencer, right? Because you said uh, she has a ton of uh, Swedish followers. <laughs> Yeah, she does. She does uh, IKEA home hacking. That <laughs> was a bad joke. I it was uh, terrible. Was you should apologize for it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's a great game. It's not the best packs game. I still believe that's Porfiriana, followed closely by Renaissance. But it is a very good packs game if you're a packsaholic. If you're a Euro gamer, I don't think it's got enough deterministic things happening to make it. You know. A game that a Eurogamer is going to say, wow, this feels like an over Rosenberg. It doesn't. It feels like a PAX game. And that's the best compliment. I and that's have. a good thing. Exactly. Oh, yeah. amazing. So, okay. So now I'm uh, really excited to play this game. I don't think anybody has it in Qatar and nobody will buy it. Nobody can. Actually, uh, uh, how did you get this game? Was it through Amazon? I traded. I traded for it. Oh, uh, okay. I gave up. Hold on. Let me see what I traded for this game. So I gave up Fields of Despair. Remember the two-player uh, yes. World War I game? I got this one, and I got a Martin Wallace game. So I got two games out of it. And What's Fields of Despair Wallace? was great, but uh, just uh, High Society, I think. The new version. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say um, Fields of Despair was an expensive game, I think. Not for me, because I bought the demo copy at oh. Origins. So they were demoing oh. it at Origins 2017. Nice. And so I bought it for, for 50 bucks. So without no tax, no nothing. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, nice. so, yeah, good deal for me, all in all. Okay. Very nice uh, for uh, Pax Viking. Uh, uh, because of the long time I was uh, taking to play uh, Mr. President all these uh, last two weeks, I, was, I wasn't expecting to talk about the second game this episode. But yesterday we played with Hamad Pan Am which is a, a new game. It's an auction worker placement game where you can you claim flight routes, so imagine something like Ticket to Ride, uh, between cities to make money and buy victory points. But basically, you buy Pan Am stocks, uh, which, are, uh, the, which is the victory points of the game. In each route, uh, each route depending on its distance, uh, needs the appropriate size of airplane to operate. So you need to have the uh, uh, airplane size between one and four. And in each one of the seven rounds uh, of the game, players take turns to bid for different cities. Uh, you bid for uh, different planes uh, in order to be able to claim routes on the map, then increase your income and buy Panam stock. So it's basically... Uh, worker placement and auctioning the stock fluctuate from three in uh, in the beginning of the game and it can reach up to 11. so in the early game you can buy victory points for three dollars in the end of the game it might go up to 11. Uh, which is a nice stats uh, because money is what you need to for the auctions for the sorry the game is best with three or four players and we played it for yesterday. The great thing about that game was that it's not, so, not only it was so smooth and well-developed, 
it's all it's also can be played in an hour and it was the teaching was 15 minutes nice so it has all this great stuff uh remind me a little of uh power grid mm. maybe and as everybody said in the end of the of the game it's nothing like ticket to ride because <laughs> <laughs> I told them in the beginning, yeah, it's something, it's like Ticket to Ride, but with some stocks and uh, some stuff. And everybody was saying, no, it's nothing like Ticket to Ride. And that's a praise <laughs> for, the, for the game. I recommend it. Panam. That's uh, Prospero Hall, right? They're a group of designers. They've done a bunch of these uh, Funko games. Um, yeah, they- and uh, I haven't tried any. I know they did horror. F- they did a bunch, but I, I know... Um, the, the Secret Cabal, Jamie at the Secret Cabal, he really likes their games. He says, even though it's directed at mass market, like they do a good enough game design to like engage um, core gamers or whatever you want to call. I don't like that. Hobby gamers, right? Uh, people like us. Apparently, even though it's simple enough for mass market, it's good enough for that. I'm yet to try anything they've done, though. So I'm glad to hear that your first experience with them was was positive. That was not my first experience with them. I have played also uh, Disney Villainous. I haven't played. Have you played that Disney Villainous? No, we bought it for Dima's uh, niece, and they kept. <laughs> she kept trying. Every day I would come downstairs when we were over there on Christmas, and she'd be like, "Do you want to play Disney Villainous? Do you want to play Disney Villainous?" We bought her like we bought her like like thirty board games, and that's the one. Like the, she she loves that one and my little scythe, which by the way definitely makes her a gamer. But you know, she's she's gonna be a board gamer for sure when she's older. But um, she loved it, and Dima said it was good because she played it a bunch with her as well. So as you said, I have played Funkoverse. Oh, you have? It's, yes, uh, Lena bought it because she found. As you said, it, because <laughs> Lena bought it because she found it in Virgin, and you That's know, not a reason has, to buy anything. Wait, see, the game has, uh, you know. A transparent uh, a spot in the box where you can see the Batman miniatures. Mm-hmm. So she liked it, she liked the components. As you said, it's mass production. I like that you called it a miniature. Isn't it a Funko? Like it's Funko. Yeah. How, yeah. how do you call this a midi? A waste of time <laughs> and money and resources. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to uh, confirm what you said about their effort because the. The rules were actually pretty good. I mean, you can, it made sense. It was really well developed. Uh, but at the same time, it's very hard to balance between selling beautiful miniatures or beautiful components and something heavier. So mm. it was not heavy enough for me and it was not light enough for my daughters. So mm. we never really played the game. I see. So it just stands in the, in the cell. For no reason, but yeah, I appreciate their effort. But Panam, I think it's a really good game for everybody, and because it's mass production, I think it's really cheap. It's like less than twenty dollars. Uh, yeah, very cool. I'm really glad you brought that up, um, especially considering the other three games we reviewed this episode or talked about this episode were Leaving Earth, Mr. President, and Pax Viking. I'm glad oh, there is something yes. for people that like anything under 4.0 on the BGG. <laughs> Like heavy scale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. So Pan Am by, by uh, Prospero Hall and Funko Games. Fantastic. And uh, even more exciting. I don't know if you guys are ready for this. 
It's time for the presidential Hippocratic corner, everybody. Pre oh, presidential. Hippo. I like that. Hippo. Hippocratic corner. The presidential Hippocratic corner uh, is back after a small uh, break for uh, summer. Uh, the previous one was uh, the Africatic Corner. Now we are back. Yeah, Byron, the... Byron picked like the worst. <laughs> no, it I was love really them. interesting. It was really I love them. I love them. However, you know, I did miss uh, your your top five. So. Um... Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> so, even though as you, you know... betrayed me and told me you were going to Greece, but instead went to the UK, it's fine. Well, I did. I, didn't I say that I'm going to Greece and also I'm going to an island? <laughs> so that was true. That was true. You have to uh, excuse my uh, <laughs> assumption that it was a Greek island. <laughs> Technically, you know, as a president now, I know that I should always be uh, truthful. Technically, and I did. I mean, that. you could swear an oath, and it would be true. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> I apologize. So the top five topic for this week, as you know, but the listeners don't, is top five games that we love but we are bad at. And oh, wait, really. This <laughs> and this is really an open-ended uh, discussion on what exactly we are looking for. So what did you think uh, when you first uh, read the top five of this uh, episode? I mean, this, this one's pretty self-explanatory, but, you know, as always, I, I need criteria to narrow things down. So it, I didn't pick a game that, like, I'm okay at. So, so for example... Through the ages, if I played in person, like I'm, 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 I'm pretty good with the people I played with. I've won a bunch of games, but if I played on board game arena with Patatufus or Hippocrates, yeah, you're like, not bad. It's, it's a guaranteed loss, but like I'm not bad at it, right? They're just overly obsessed with reading. But you're not bad at anything, so it's more about where you feel bad. Yeah, well, no, it's not that. Bad. I mean, or also like chess, right? Like I really like chess, um, but I suck compared to anyone that really likes chess but if i play with somebody who's like oh, i played a bit of chess in high school i'll probably do all right but if i play against anyone who's playing on chess.com i'll probably lose so um so i suck at chess but not really in the grand scope of things so it had to be something that i'm actually bad at and i didn't know if i was bad at anything because i just assumed i was great at everything exactly but <laughs> so you would have a problem in this top five. <laughs> so I used the. I had a process. I went to BG Stats, and I checked games that I've played multiple times, which means three or more, not one or two, because that could be a uh, anomaly. Oh come but, on! But games that I've never won, then I picked the ones from those that I loved, and I ranked them. Really, you did that? I did exactly the same thing. <laughs> But the question is, uh, if you love it more and you suck less, would you put exactly. it uh, on top? Or No, it, anyway. did, it did affect. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I love it a lot, but I suck so bad at it. That makes it like number one, right? Which is oh, my right. number one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm excited now to, uh, to listen to this because, uh, as, as I said, I had the same process. And uh, do you have any honorable mentions? Or should I start? I, I do. I have one honorable mention. Okay, tell because me. Because it's not my fault that I lose. It's everybody else's fault. Space <laughs> Alert. <laughs> I've, I've played Space Alert 
eight <laughs> times and never won the game. <laughs> and, really? Yeah, and the reason is that Epo sucks at the game. <laughs> Have you played it solo? No. Uh, the whole that... fun of the game for me is 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 like, all right, I'll meet you. You 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 put the battery in the reactor, and then I go this way, and then they go the other way, and I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that everyone else feels the same way, but blames me for it, and I I'm going to blame everyone else for it. So the reason it's on there is not because I'm bad at it; it's because everyone else is bad at it. My honorable mention is Blood on the Clock Tower. Mm. And there is a, I, the reason I was thinking about it is because I feel lost in every of these games. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. But checking the, uh, the app with uh, my stats, uh, I have won four out of ten games. Ah, so, so you're not actually bad at it. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, randomly you would say that 50% you will win. And... Yeah, okay. It's a you know it's a game with ten or more people, and you are part of a group, and maybe I'm just winning because other people are are great. But yeah, yeah my stats don't uh, justify uh, Blood on the Clock Tower on the Clock Tower to be in my top five. But it's a game I love, and I really don't know what's what's happening. Uh, so Excellent. I I really suggest social deduction Blood on the Clock Tower. So what's your number five? Oh, should I go first? Okay, let's go first. I will go first. Uh, my number five is Roll for the Galaxy. Really? Uh, Roll for the Galaxy is a game that I really like. It's a dice game where you build space empires. Uh, mm -hmm. It's basically, if you know Race for the, if people know Race for the Galaxy, is Race for the Galaxy with dice. It's, and it's better than Race, in my opinion. Um, yes, anyway. yes, I, I agree. I mean, I would. It's really easier to play. Yeah. Uh, and my stats show that I have won one out of eight games, 12%, uh, which is really bad stat for me. And I really, I mean, if, if somebody says, let's play Roll for the Galaxy, I, I will definitely say yes anytime. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I really like the game. I'm with you. And I also don't win a lot. Um, and uh, but, I, but the thing is, the reason... <laughs> It's not here. Is uh, we played it recently, and I won it again, and kind of ruined the stats on it. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do. I do think um, you know, depending on who you're playing with, like there there are some things that make sense. Like if you see that people are slow in developing their tableau, you can rush towards the end by getting twelve tiles out, and you'll probably win the game. So, I don't feel like I totally suck at it because I do feel like. I have some uh, rationale of how to maneuver within the game, but I haven't won a bunch. So, uh, but yeah, great, great choice. Roll for the galaxy. Nice. Nah, I mean, I cannot. Uh, I think the problem with me is that in Roll for the Galaxy, you need to uh, know what to anticipate from your uh, opponents. Yeah. And I always fail at that. Yeah, you're, you've never been good at working with other people on things. No, so. no, I, I hate other people. <laughs> I just need them to be, you know, around the table. <laughs> What's your number but five? I definitely, I definitely think it's better than Race for the Galaxy. I played Race a few times, but I, I did feel, I don't know, I, it's different. It's very different. Race feels like a much more serious game, and 
I don't feel like the game is good enough for the level of seriousness Race for the Galaxy. Oh, interesting. Roll for the Galaxy, it adds a bit of whimsy to the game, and I enjoy it. So I agree. Uh, very nice. My number five, I didn't want to bring this up again, but the stats are the stats, and um, <laughs> I've played the game five times and have zero wins of this game, and I should have at least one, <laughs> and that is um, Yakitori. Uh, oh. so it's, it's a game I adore and I'm always talking about how this is what Kickstarter should be for. I always pull out Yakitori and I go, this is my proudest thing that I've ever kickstarted. Let me show you what this game is. And I love it. And I'm always championing it, but apparently I suck at it. <laughs> There's <laughs> no way. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's random. Yak- I mean, everybody can win Yakitori. Yakitori is not random. Yakitori, you, you roll the dice and then select actions. Like No, I'm not saying dice. it's a random game, but I mean, yeah, everybody should be able to win Yakitori once in, in five games. Theoretically, but I have not. <laughs> so, uh, and, and the funny thing is, I've never felt like I was particularly close to winning either. So um, that's another thing for games. When I finish the game, if I feel like, oh, if I had done this and this and this differently, I would have, you know, I would have won. I, it wouldn't make the list. But if I finish the game and go, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm so bad. I can't figure out why I lost. Right. So that's, but I love it. And that's Yakitori, number five. What's your number four? So my number four is uh, a scenario based deduction game for two to four players. Uh, and one of them is the Mastermind. And its name is. Tragedy Looper. Mm. I have never won this game. Uh, and I love it. I love it. Both Hamad and AK, they have a copy. So we're now, actually, we were last week uh, planning to do another uh, night with Tragedy Looper. Uh, but, you know, uh, as AK said, it needs for the mastermind to uh, remember the full rules yes. because he kind of runs the game so he needs to yes. read the game and stuff like that so this is one of the things that prevents us from playing from playing it again and again i guess if we start playing it then uh, we will be we will get better but i really love this game one of the best deduction games and storytelling at the same time uh, and i have no idea what's going on in, the, <laughs> in this it's, game it's great <laughs> You know, I just looked it up. I've played Tragedy Looper seven times, and I've won three times. So it seems I'm good at the game. That's pretty good. Every time I try to explain to someone how the deduction works in Tragedy Looper, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So that would be a game that I love and I'm bad at, but somehow win at. No, it's a game that I love and suck at, but I'm winning at, so I'm not bad (laughs) That's another uh, category. Great choice. I love it. Tragedy Loopers is a terrific game. So um, what's your number four? This is one of our favorites, both me and you specifically. And it's recently gone up, in my estimation, with the second edition. But I've played it three times and lost time, all time. But the reason it's on there is not because of the number of times I've lost. It's because I just, I kind of just play the game. And like... I'm there for the ride and whatever happens happens because 
I have no idea how to win this game. And that is John Company. <laughs> oh. I'm just like, I know three times is not a lot of times, and it's okay if you haven't won a game. It doesn't mean you're bad at it. But I always do so bad. <laughs> and I don't know how to do better. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing game. I love it. Um, I suck at it. So number four, John Company. It's, it's really, as you said, a combination of uh, negotiation game and... Uh... At the same time, there are certain things that you can do that it's supposed to help you, but you're not sure about them. I mean, it's it, it is complicated, as, as you say, but it's a, a a game we both love, correctly. Mm-hmm. You said correctly, and I will move now to my number three. Number three. Number three is a game that I have won once in my four uh, plays. It's a two-player deck-building war game. So I guess you can... I uh, I have a question. uh, Are the other three losses to me? Yes. Okay. All right. I know. It's it's about the French and British conflict in North America. (laughs) It's it's the Martin Wallace's game of few acres of snow. Yeah. Uh, This game, it's so amazing that... Every time I was playing it, I was feeling so stressful because everything was going wrong and not in the way I was planning for them. Yeah. But I wanted to play it again. Yeah. Instead of, you know, uh, pushing me away this fact, it made me want to play more. And I'm really sad that uh, that I played this game only four times. Yeah. Uh, And I really recommend it as a two-player Deck building work. I, I really don't know if there is another deck building board game like that out there. Can I just say that I that's the reason I love you in this game, especially like I've played this game with four people, and three of them, when they got that feeling of like sort of like hopelessness or when they're under siege, something like that they reacted very bad. Like their reaction was, I never want to play this game again, right? Byron, Demon, so on. <laughs> I but with you, your totally. reaction was, oh my God, that was horrible. I want <laughs> to play this game again, which is my reaction to losing. So I really am happy. That's why I'm so sad. These two-player war games, Sengahara, Figures of Snow, like I just, you're the only one that would ever play, <laughs> play these things with but, me. But, now, but again, this is, not, this is your reaction always in this kind of uh, situation, but not mine. Oh, Mine is, not, I mean, it's not always. In this hmm. game, it happened. In other times, no. If I feel like overwhelmed, then I may, or maybe if the game doesn't give you the the feeling that it's worth it, then you won't try it again. But this game, no. It it really gives me the the feeling that every time you're gonna enjoy it, whatever happens. Great choice. And it, and if you want to know the truth of all the people I've played with, you're the hardest person to beat at the game. Oh, so you're not you actually bad at the game. You're quite good at the game. Thank you so. very much. My uh, number so three. I, I call that an illegal choice for you. <laughs> a few acres of snow. Uh, my number three, I've played four times, lost zero times. Common theme. Uh, I'm not sure what I did wrong. Um, I, I, thought I, I thought I was pretty good at this game. I'm not. And I would have bet money that I've won this game, but apparently I would have lost that money. That is Tricarion, which is the oh. game about 
having running a magic magician's workshop. You're You've never sending... won Tricarion. I thought I've you were never very good. won Tricarion. <laughs> I remember you were very good. I mean, no, I checked my score. So the closest I came was with you and Lena and Dima, I think, or someone else, not Lena. And I was one point away from winning, but you won that one. Oh. So that's the and I think I've always been within a couple of points, but apparently. I just don't know how to get over the hump, and I just keep losing to all different people. So, yeah, so, so you uh, don't suck at the game. No, but I do because there's no <laughs> points for coming in second. <laughs> if you're not first, you're last, right? That's oh, <laughs> come on! You're not bad if you're one point from the winner. No, no. I, I'll tell you why I feel like I'm bad, though. I'm still not exactly sure how the how putting on a show. It's hard for me to. I can usually run a good workshop, like. The worker placement of it, I can figure out very simply. And I love the worker placement of it because the, basically depending on the worker you send and, and you get different amounts of Yeah, we should, we should that say action. that it's a game about uh, putting up uh, magic yeah. shows. The, the problem is the part where you make points, which is where you put on a show with all the prep work you've done. In my head, there's a massive disconnect between the worker placement part and the putting on a show part. And I don't know how to lead one into the other. Oh. So I usually do okay because I'm good at the worker placement bit and I'm really bad at putting on a show. So I don't make all the combo points from linking my tricks to other tricks and stuff like that. So that part of the game I'm bad at and that's where you get 90% of your points from. So that's why it's on this list because I'm pretty good at half the game and terrible at the other <laughs> the game. But what, in any case, the... I love it and it's a good game. What an amazing thing for a game, eh? It is very cool. Very cool. I mean, it's so unique. You're putting of up... all the games they've done, and I've played a bunch of them, um, you know, I, I would say Tricarion is still my favorite. Anachrony is really good, but I still think Tricarion is, is the best thing uh, they've done at that company. Yes, uh, uh, yes, yeah. I, I totally like, agree. It's, it's, like, it's better than Cerebria and, and stuff like that. So It's, it's yeah. really a great game. And it's 100% better than Perseverance. I, I didn't enjoy that one. I'm keen to try their new space one, but until I do, um, Tricarion's still the best game uh, they make there. So um, my number three, game I love, but I'm bad at. From Mind Class Games. Mind Class, uh, that's it. Thank you. Your number two. Number, my number two, uh, I have zero wins in seven games. <laughs> uh, it's a trivia game that lets you bet on anyone's answer. No uh, way, you never won? <laughs> I have never won Wits and Wagers. <laughs> and it's really one of my favorite games. I don't remember any time that I didn't have, I, I wasn't enjoying it like to the fullest. It was, it, it's for me one of the best party games out there. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and I'm a good at trivia. I consider myself good at trivia, but not so good in betting, <laughs> I guess. You know, the thing is, this is the one game that you, you don't have to be good at trivia to win. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. a problem for me. <laughs> I feel you. But that game is so good that I just like, because I have the Vegas version, you remember, with the big uh, I remember. I like playing that game as a dealer. Like, I, I like just sitting there. <laughs> We've had we played this game with like fourteen players on teams of two, and I'm just a dealer and I'm moving chips around and bets on bets in bets in. It's so nice, like it's just such a it's an experience, you know. Such a good game. Yeah. 
Amazing. So I love it. My, not my number two, wits and wagers. But you should get better at it. That's, that's unacceptable. <laughs> I cannot. Ironically, my number two is also a game that I've played seven times and never won at. Oh. Um, and it's mostly uh, other people's uh, faults, but that's how the game is built. And it's called The Estates. I've never won at The Estates. I don't, How is it other people's fault? They because stay? they keep they keep extending my row or <laughs> <laughs> turning my points negative. You're blaming the interaction of the game. I'm blaming the fact that they're good at the game on why I suck at the game. But this is a game where you're trying to develop this area, but then like certain rows get extended and they become negative points if they're not complete. So you're basically auction. You're bidding on building blocks and you're spending money from that and based on that you're it's kind of an abstract game but it's really clever auction game one of the best i think it used to be called neue heimat in german and then this beautiful um estates version came out um and i love it i always want to play it but i've never won at it and i remember one time with basil he won the game with zero points and i think (laughs) That because everybody else ex- had negative points. Yeah, I think that kind of explains no. just how good this game is. If you have a mentality like mine, you'll that will make you very attractive to this game. <laughs> Winning with zero points is an option. If not, then yeah, you know, just ignore everything I say going forward. Um, so <laughs> the Estates is my number two uh, game I love, but I'm bad at Amazing game and uh, amazing... Uh, uh, Memories from Essen with Byron yes. buying the, the states and the new I edition. We were so happy. And even AK bought it. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember. I think, we, I think we were just so happy because we found a place to sit, if I remember correctly. Like we'd been walking through the hall and it was day one. It was so crowded. Not one chair was available. And then when we finally got to sit down, like the relief that went through my <laughs> It's like when you need to take a piss for two hours and you're exactly, yeah. Um, and then the guy who was teaching us the game was high as a fucking kite and taught us the game completely wrong and then went in and, like, as an apology, gave us all like bags of meeples of <laughs> green meeples, green that? meeples. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what was the company? It's Capstone, is it? Yeah, it's Capstone. Okay, yeah. Anyway, okay, so great choice. Uh, my number one, we're going to number one. I have three wins in 16 games. It's a game Whoa. of induct- inductive logic in which one player, the master, creates a rule that the rest of the players <laughs> as students try to figure out by building and studying configurations of the game pieces. And it's called Zendo. Okay, you don't suck at Zendo. Come That's- on. That's what I feel. And it's, it's, I mean, if you see all my top five, it's more what I feel than my uh, statistics in the, in the, in the game. So you, it's a game where you feel completely lost. You're feeling so (laughs) lost that you start laughing. (laughs) And the good thing with this game is that everybody usually is, is, is feeling the same way. Yes, exactly. So, so you're feeling less bad about, about yourself and you're just starting to enjoy the process and it's such a good game. And I uh, think the reason that you're, 
we don't really play to win. That's the thing, right? That's why I'm saying the stats don't tell the full story. Yeah, like right, right. nobody's it's, actually playing Zendo to win the game, right? You just want to figure yeah. out this one, please, just this one. <laughs> I just want to figure this one out. So yeah, it's a I, great I was, Yeah, I think you're you're right. I mean, my. Uh, Zendo, Wits and Wagers also, you're not playing to win. I mean, you're just enjoying the game. I mean, maybe you should play Wits and Wagers to win. I think maybe you should change I mean, strategy. you do, but you don't really care. <laughs> In general, when you're betting, don't just bet for the hell of it. <laughs> try, try to win. Never play with money. That's uh, Get uh, my advice for, for all our listeners less than 18 years old. I have a, I have a picture of us playing Wits and Wagers and on the, the big Vegas mat, there's a bunch of chips and then somebody like bet their sunglasses and then there's someone's like car keys. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Which is amazing. Oh, you should uh, put it in Instagram. I think it is on Instagram. That's where I found oh, it. <laughs> nice. So all what's right. your number one? My number one is in my top 10 games of all time. Um, what? And I've just found out I've never won it. And I've played it seven times and i've wow. never won it you want to guess what that is uh wild cutters fuck you i've won wild cat <laughs> <laughs> also uh, wild cutters not in my top 10 it is the brilliant masterpiece food chain magnate no way i have never even come close to winning at food chain right? really no like i'm not exaggerating never That's within strange. like the area code of winning the game and i love it so much because usually when i realize this ain't happening champ i'll just try some <laughs> random shit and i have a great time like, champ. <laughs> like at, one, at one point I, I just started like collecting waitresses right and then, like, I got... The <laughs> That's so sexist. Why are you collecting Be waitresses? No, because waitresses give you five bucks in return. No, I, I was kidding. Just for having them. But, from tips, right? But if you can get, I think it was, I can't remember who it was, you get double that. So then I just, my, my org chart just had, like, 12 waitresses. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would no. get, like... I would get like a hundred bucks worth every turn from just tips that couldn't be taken away by marketing and stuff. I came in dead last in that game, but yeah, that's like when I had, the, a, I had a great time. <laughs> Basically, my point about all this is, you could be trying to run McDonald's, but halfway through the game, I could decide I want to run Hooters, and that's okay. All right, <laughs> so <laughs> I had a great time in the game. Uh, whether I win it or lose it, every time I've lost it, which is every time I've played it, it's been a joy. Like, it's just, it's fun. And, you know, I, I love even seeing people undercutting each other. So somebody spends all this time establishing a market for, you know, burgers and lemonade, and someone just offers a cheaper option for burgers and lemonade closer to their houses. And so you're marketing for the wrong person, essentially. And it's just, it's lovely. It's, it's like if McDonald's was blasting out there get a burger get a burger get a burger and everyone's like i want a burger let's go to burger king <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so great it's so much like natural storytelling but the game itself is beautifully like designed 
and there's so much done and everything interacts with each other. Players are forced to interact with each other. It's a great economic game, storytelling game, company managed game. And at the same time, it's just all in one neighborhood, which makes it super like small in scale and it feels really good. And the theme is wonderful 50s diner style. Yeah, exactly. It's Everybody really can relate with the theme. I mean, you're just making burgers and pizzas. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And even if you suck at it, don't worry. Just try to have a good time. Relax. Do better. It's, try to do better. And if you don't, you didn't. It's okay. Well, Nobody thinks you're stupid, I promise. So play Food I'm, Chain Magnet. Amazing. I, I'm really happy that we uh, came up with 10 great games, I feel. Yeah. All of them are... Uh, yeah, I mean, and this shows how little it means to not be good in a game. I mean, it's in my top 10, Apo. It's number eight <laughs> all time for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, what can you do? It's a, it's a great game. You cannot deny it. I don't think any of these games for me are rated like less than like a, like a seven and a half or eight out of 10. Like these are all the top of the top for me. And I've, I've literally, everything I've described haven't won a single game between all six games I mentioned, if you include Space Alert. Oh. So think about that. Between all of them, we have maybe 40 plays, and I've never won one time. And these are all games nah. I endure. So relax, take it easy. If you suck at this, maybe you're good enough to beat Ipo a bunch of times at uh, a few acres of snow. That's fine. Exactly. Maybe he'll you kick can... your ass at through the ages. It's okay. <laughs> you always get your acres of snow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, just, just like people aren't out here. I mean, I know we all kind of feel stupid when we win it, lose it stuff a bunch of times, but if a person is going to judge you negatively based on how often you win at a board game, they're, they're assholes. <laughs> they're, they're dicks like and, and don't let yourself be time. judged by that and morons at the same time um which brings us to uh Ipo's little <laughs> outro spiel <laughs> yeah so for uh, the listeners uh, don't forget don't please don't forget to let us know what your top five <laughs> games that you love but you're bad at are over at our board game geek guild and you can find the link to uh, that episode description. You can find a link to that in our episode description. If if yeah. Elias links this to the episode description, otherwise you are totally justified not to let us know <laughs> what your top five is. <laughs> Back to Elias. Did you, did you hear last time that uh, Byron actually said the you morons? Yes, part? I was I was <laughs> laughing alone in my car while listening to it. It was an That's excellent episode, but by the way, I was so happy. We missed you. We missed you. But it was really nice to have them back. Yeah. Um, and I really wish they would uh, start playing, well, Byron play more board games to come back. But Dima, yeah. just to get off her high horse, you know, and uh, think, no, no, and Dima, I slum think it I with think the rest of us. I think we're better off without Dima. No, let, let's say. <laughs> hey, that's let's my wife. You're let's be about. honest. <laughs> and I mean, actually, we're recording today. It's, it's Dima and I's 10th wedding anniversary today. So oh, happy anniversary. Congratulations. Happy anniversary, <laughs> Dima and Elias. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, guys. That brings us to the end of this tabletop session. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at tabletop sessions. All one word. All one word. Join the conversation. Share a fun story of your board game shenaniganism. And let us know what your top five was over at our Board Game Geek Guild. 
And you can find the link to all of these in the episode description. There will also be a link to uh, the new Veiled Masters dramatized adaptation from Graphic Audio, narrated by yours truly, playing Tarak, the uh, Emirates of Hakan badass. All right. And uh, we've all started a YouTube channel. You can listen to all the podcasts on there for free. There's a couple of solo games on there. Since then, I've upped the scope of my solo game setup, and I have like a green screen setup and some lighting. Um, and I'm recording a playthrough of Neanderthal right now. So uh, just get on there. It'll be up there soon. And you'll be able to watch this cool ass setup that I put together. And also... <laughs> Look out next week for the first episode of TTS Does TTS, oh. uh, which uh, will be Station Fall. And uh, we'll be back in a month. Until then, check out all this other stuff I talked about. All right. Be a team player. Help us out. And to quote one of my favorite writers, God damn it, got to be kind. So be kind. Check out our shit. Say bye, Ipo. <laughs> Bye, gamers. Tabletop, 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 top, tabletop, top, tabletop, 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 top, table, tabletop, table, tabletop, table, tabletop, top. Is that is that your time? Are you gonna are you gonna stick with that? Is that uh, no no no? Every every episode I'm gonna change. I, I'm gonna try yeah, keep, to find keep, the best. Keep working. Keep trying. Keep work. yeah. <laughs> One day. <laughs> One day. Oh, One day. <laughs>